Whether you're looking for a convenient refresher course, or a way to earn your Pragmatic certification at your own speed, or the chance to take a Pragmatic course from your specific corner of the world, then Foundations On Demand is the solution you need. Get the same great content, tools, and templates our Foundations course is famous for in a flexible and easy-to-use online learning platform. Learn the skills you need to build and market products people want to buy. And earn your Pragmatic Institute certification anywhere, anytime. No more travel worries, no more time zone issues, just truly great training. Experience the new way of training with Foundations On Demand from Pragmatic Institute. Visit pragmaticinstitute.com foundations to learn more. And welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I am Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing and Product Strategy at Pragmatic Institute and your host for this episode. And today, I'm super excited to have with us Double Check Research, who is not only a, a sort of partner in the space, but actually a partner of ours, someone that we use for our win-loss. And we have two people from there, Jen Doyle and Diana Ema. So welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's start with just a little bit background on, on both of you and how you got into, into the business and why you're so passionate about win-loss and, of course, a little bit about DoubleCheck. Sure, sure. I'm Jen Doyle. I'm a research director here at DoubleCheck, and I really love working in this space because I get to work with really great clients who appreciate research and win-loss, and I get to learn all about different ways to help them improve their win rates and you know, it, the best part of this job is really having the opportunity to speak to the buyers and uncover those little golden nuggets that my clients might not necessarily even have on their radar and, and make it really actionable and, and really help them improve and move the needle. Double Check is a win-loss agency. We have a number of research directors like myself who work with clients on win-loss programs to help improve win rates and learn all about the entire buying process. Great. And um, yeah, I'm Diana Iwa. I am the lead of marketing and operations here at Double Check. I've been with the company for over slightly over four years now. One of the one of my responsibilities here as lead mar as lead of marketing is to help gain awareness around win loss and educate our audience on the power of win loss analysis. So I'm very passionate about creating or identifying those gaps in content and creating thought leadership content that our audience will find useful. And I'm hoping, I'm super excited about diving into this conversation with you, Rebecca and Jen. So I'm hoping that your listeners will walk away from this conversation with four or five takeaways that they can implement and maybe pick their curiosity so that they will start their win-loss journey or level up their win-loss game. 
Excellent. So I think it's like, so you have three very passionate people about win-loss here, right? This is what you guys do. It's one of the key tenants that we we really teach, right? The importance of talking to accounts you win and to lose to really understand the buying process from the buyer's perspective, the competitive landscape. There's so much good intel. And one of the things that we talked about here before in, in sort of our prep call was that our latest annual survey showed that just 35% of our product teams we're doing win loss and how how very sad that made us uh, so so let's like we are passionate about it but like let's help the listeners understand the importance of win loss right why we believe this is so critical and why the product team really should be a big part of this this uh, activity yeah um, i'm happy to jump in jen so oftentimes companies struggle to understand why prospects make the buying decisions they do so we, I presume your listeners and everyone here have experienced situations where a prospect appears to be a perfect fit, but they decide to go, the, to go with the competitor at the end of the day with little or no clear explanation of their decision. That's when we start questioning ourselves. Was it our offering? Was it our price? Or was it this, the, our sales process, our sales experience? So those are key questions that companies need to constantly ask in order to grow. But in order to hone in on that knowledge, it is essential to adopt a formal or adopt a, a, a structured approach to collecting buyer insights. Now, if, if companies decide just to do an ad hoc buyer interview or win-loss interview, and it's not a more structured process around that, then what's going to happen is companies will end up relying on anecdotal information and never truly understanding the buyer. And that's where win-loss analysis comes into play. Win-loss analysis is a great way to, or generates a fresh flow of buyer feedback that adds value to a number of functions across the organization. So, for instance, from a product management perspective, the research that comes through win-loss analysis will help identify whether your offering is aligned with the current market needs or not. That knowledge will enable companies to inform product roadmap and help develop more customer-centric products. Now, from a sales standpoint, win-loss will bring to life sales coaching and sales training. So basically by capturing quotes from, from those buyers, from customers and embedding those into their training modules or their training programs, they can help new sellers to get up to speed with best practices so that they are able to drive higher win rates. From a product marketer perspective, they are able to capture competitive intelligence and have a better view of the competitive landscape. So it will also help to highlight key differentiators of your product or services. And also you have a view into the advantages and disadvantages of competitor competitive offerings versus your own. And finally, from a marketing standpoint, it provides insights into how the market views your organization and your offering. So it will help with brand awareness. It will help you to drive more effective lead generation campaigns. 
inform the content that you're putting on your website, adjust your messaging as well. So lots of, in a nutshell, it provides having that flow or that constant flow of fresh feedback will ultimately help the organization to make better, smarter, more informed decisions, mainly because you are replacing that anecdotal knowledge or information with reliable intelligence. Wow. And I, I think one of, there's so many advantages like you talked about, but one of the things that always strikes me is the anecdotal evidence that we use is often inaccurate, right? I mean, I think there's a difference between self-reported reasons why an account didn't choose us. Uh, and it may very well be what they said to the salesperson, right? doesn't mean the salesperson is just like, oh, I'm going to put this down. But what they truly reveal when you have a, a, a sort of well thought out research program there, that the two don't always match in a way that really gives you a, a different level of insight. And then the other thing I'd say is I think that the data, because we're talking about the sales process and frequently we're talking about accounts that we've had, you know, good conversations with. So deeper in that sales process, the the feedback we get is so actionable, right? It's sort of where the rubber meets the road and really gives us things that we can change. And sometimes it's small things. Sometimes it's like, you know, hey, this this particular step of the process, that paperwork was was overwhelming. Okay, well, we could probably work on that, right? So not only is it super actionable, but because it's sort of so close to revenue, right? So close and, and deep in the sales process, it's also really powerful. And, and so the effects even some of those small changes can make on revenue and RIN rates, I don't know that there's another lever that we have to pull that's quite as powerful as making tight edits with someone who's already, you know, in the funnel, qualified, understands the benefits, knows they have those problems, and th those little changes that it can uncover are just amazing. Absolutely, yes, 100%. I think bringing the voice of the customer and voice of the market into your organization is bringing in that unbiased opinion in a way. I know opinions may not matter, but when it comes from the buyer, it should be the very last opinion that you should follow, correct? Yes. Um, definitely, there are so many levers that organizations can tap into, such as their CRM, their sales team, but all of those come with a, a level of bias. So having the buyer's voice is definitely something that will bug your, it's, it brings another layer definitely to, to your decision-making process. Yeah. Well, I know you can't share details on clients, but I would love to hear, because I, I mean, I could talk about our impact, but I know you guys have some great stories too of clients who've, who've just been really seen results through this. Yeah, I will say I work with clients shifting from an anecdotal decision-making process over to a formal win-loss program all the time. That's what I do. And one of the problems with the former, there, there are so many problems with the former, and so many organizations turn to just one sales story or, or one extreme where you know, something really went wrong with the sales process and they can have knee-jerk reactions to these singular stories. They may be accurate just because it's an anecdote from a buyer doesn't mean it's inaccurate, but it's just one story. And, and that, that's really important to take home. You let one story versus a collection of conversations taken over time is a completely different game. It's game changing and with the collection of conversations and reports you can actually dial up trends and that that one-off story, that bad situation might only just be one buyer. I had an example of this with a client recently where 
I had one interview. It was one of the first interviews I did. The client shall remain nameless. And the feedback on the sales team was quite negative and it was quite bad. And this report was shared internally and very quickly sales leadership and other leaders of the organization you know, had this kind of fire drill moment where we've got to do something about this. This is, this is, this we really need to act on this. And that's what you want out of a win-loss program. You want action. But this was just one, one story. And I'm comparing receiving this one story to almost receiving an anecdote before win-loss, because what happened is they ended up finding out the salesperson on this lead was very new and they probably shouldn't have been handling this account by themselves. And, you know, the rest of the sales feedback and the rest of the study was quite decent. It was quite good. So it it was very much an outlier. So having a formal win-loss program in place with continual insights streaming into your organization will prevent those knee-jerk reactions to one-off scenarios that may or may not be terribly relevant in your organization in the first place. What a great example, too, because I think uh, often not often, sometimes sales teams are hesitant to do win-loss programs because they're afraid of of the the witch, right? Like the witch hunts and they're going to come. And and I think what you're talking about is like a standardized program actually is, is it's a, a bit of a, a protection is probably a strong word of that because it really gives the full point of view because like there's always a, an exception, right? There's always something that goes wrong. When you have enough information that is put in perspective, if you're, if you're doing one-off and anecdotes, to your point, that actually is where where you may get some of that sort of knee-jerk reaction. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. So, okay. So we know it's really important. Let's talk about sort of the key components of a win-loss program. Absolutely. I can, I can take some of that in the beginning here. And if you want to chime in at all, Diana, you're welcome Absolutely. to. So right from the get-go, you want to, you, a great, candidate for a win-loss program will have the right mindset in place. They'll be in a growth mindset and the team will be all together and, and ready to take action. That's not always the case. That's not always how organizations feel about win-loss. A lot of times there, there might be a program leader who's bought into the program, but not the rest of the organization. So it's really important to get the right stakeholders involved early on in the process and help work with them to understand their needs, what they want to learn from their buyers, what hypotheses they might have that they want proven or disproven. Opening up that dialogue early on with your key stakeholders is going to be huge, both for you know getting the program up and running and also making it valuable and actionable to multiple departments in the organization. So you want to make sure you get the right stakeholders involved right off the bat. You want to look at you know head of product, head of marketing, head of sales. Those are really the big three players that that we're looking at. Competitive intelligence as well would apply. Talking to some of your sales executives to to learn about their needs and their interests. I will say sales is a huge partner that you both want to win over and have on your side and and win loss because they can be extremely helpful to the program in helping deliver leads and also helping securing interviews. So working with everybody right off the bat, right from the beginning is really important. So once you've got your team together and ideally your team will be on board at this point, you want to identify the focus of your program. So not having a focus is like shooting yourself in the foot for for win-loss. You have all these different types of buyers. You may have multiple product lines. You may have multiple offerings. And you can't compare 
all of these different things together in one analysis because it won't give you actionable data. It won't really make much sense at all. Um, <laughs> so like some examples that we see are, you know, of course, product line. You know, you're going to want to look at one product line and compare it to other buyers who are, who are evaluating that specific product line. This is what we would call a research cohort. Other cohorts that buyers, what that clients might be interested or could be valuable to different organizations would be, of course, deal size, annual recurring revenue. If these vary greatly, depending on the deal for the buyers that you're working on with, you're going to get very different field feedback on value perceptions, pricing, and budget negotiations. This also, maybe you have the same price for all of your buyers. This would also apply for the size of the organization that you're working with, whether they're small, mid, or enterprise. Those different types of organizations would approach a purchase very differently. So you want to look at what types of fish you're fishing for. So I'll use an example. My, my son is a skilled angler. And so if you want to go out and collect a and catch a striped bass, and you're fishing with an earthworm, you're never going to catch a striped bass. You'll probably catch more of a bluegill, maybe a smallmouth bass, something like that. Um, if you want the striped bass, you really have to use the right lure, or you want to look at using a bogey, a bogey, sorry, or a mackerel. So if you want to look at targeting the specific types of buyers that you want to land, maybe it's those big fish or those large enterprises, you have to have the right bait. And using your cohorts to structure your research study is going to help you identify which bait is going to work for which fish that you're looking for. Maybe you want all the fish, but you're still not going to catch all of them with just using an earthworm, if that makes sense. <laughs> yes. All right. So you've got your cohorts. You want to identify the right buyers for your interviews. So looking at your list and who you're actually going to talk to within your cohorts there are a few key criteria that we would recommend you look for. You want to look for late stage competitive deals. Of course, you want a buyer who thoroughly evaluated your product, who is either, you know, I'm not sure how many stages everybody has in their Salesforce or their CRM, but like stage four or stage five is probably great candidates. You want someone who actually thoroughly evaluated your product, is educated on your offering and looked at other competitors as well. That's ideal. Another thing to think about with your interview target is recency. So you want the evaluation to be fresh in their mind, of course. So they actually recall everything to speak with you. But not only that, I find that recency really helps with participation. You know, if you're reaching out to a buyer who you lost a year ago, they're much less likely to even respond and participate than someone who you lost last month. So definitely look at recency late stage competitive deals. Those are the big three criteria you want to look for. And you need a method for analyzing the data. Naturally, once you get all of these interviews, you need a way to organize it. At DoubleCheck, we use Dovetail, which is a great tool for analyzing qualitative data and involves tagging methodologies and charts that can be created out of the interviews. You really want a way to roll up and dial up your trends in a way that's easy to visualize and easy to share within your organization. There's a disturbing trend that's starting to occur in win-loss that we've noticed where some organizations, they want to get into win-loss, but it seems like a lot of work to, you know, recruit for the interviews, then do the interviews, then analyze the interviews. 
And some people tend to look and say, hey, I'm just going to do a survey because that's easier. And then I'll get the quantitative results and maybe I'll get more people taking the survey than I would for the interview. And people think it's a good idea. Couldn't be further from the truth. The problem with doing a survey-based win-loss program primarily is you don't know what you don't know. And you're never going to get those rich golden nuggets that you would out of an actual conversation live with your buyer. I don't care how many open-ended questions you put in the survey. Survey taking methodology is let me get through this survey as quickly as possible to get whatever my gift card or my incentive was at the end of the survey. So surveys in no way can replace one-to-one human conversations. You don't know what you don't know. I, I will go into every interview with an interview guide and a plan with questions that I intend to ask. And without fail, every time I get on the phone, my interview guide is completely different based on the conversation that I'm having. And I've been doing this for quite a while. I do a ton of these conversations. So I will say that it's the buyer and what the buyer says and shares live during the interview that's going to direct the further follow-up questions that I'm going to have. So you just, you, you still need humans to do this. You, you can't replace this process just by doing something that's quicker and easier. Win-loss is work and, and it's, it's valuable work and it's, it's definitely rewarding to every facet of the organization, but you can't just skip steps there and, and try to do something that's easier because you won't get good information back. It won't be nearly as good. So I have a few more components. At this point, you have gotten your list you've done your interviews, you've done some analysis, you want to share your findings as broadly as possible within your organization because you want to make sure that your your group that you're working with has this growth mindset and you're going to help spread that by spreading your data and spreading your research. I will say that, you know, if when a program is getting up and running, the best thing that helps accelerate it is getting the reports and getting the results out to various parties internally in the organization because that's when people start to get it. And they say, wow, this is really great detailed information that we need and we need to keep doing this in order to, you know, fuel our decisions and our strategies moving forward. And also making sure those reports are super actionable for, for your internal parties. I know I kind of just gave a big dump of all the different aspects of a program, but do you have any questions or, or anything that, that you think your audience might need more clarity on? No, I think that was a, a, a great rundown, right? I think we <laughs> talked a lot in the beginning too about like who's the right people, right? The right cohorts, the right buyers, the right type of deals. One thing I know that will probably be on everyone listening's mind because it, it is a struggle for all types of market research we do, Nahito calls and win losses, is how, okay, I've identified who I want to talk to. How do I get them to talk to me? <laughs> what, are the, what are the ways that you find uh, are the most effective sort of interview recruitment and outreach? Yeah, absolutely. You touched on a very key component in a program, win-loss program life cycle. So here at Double Check, we recommend a couple of outreach approaches. So the first one is leadership first approach. And then we have a second one called sales first approach. Our leadership first approach, what that one entails is basically a member of the leadership team will that it, who is well recognized by the interview target group will send off the initial email to the 
to everyone in the interview target audience and invite them to participate in a win-loss interview. Now, from there, the double-check team will take point on any follow-up activities in order to secure that interview. The second, oh, sorry, before I move on to the second approach, I have to say that this type of approach, the leadership first approach, is ideal for companies who have a strong pre-vetted or pre-qualified interview target list. They want to move quickly into the interview recruitment phase. And also they, they want to go ahead and capture as quickly as possible those buyer insights. Now, one of the pros about this outreach approach is the fact that it's pretty straightforward and we are able to move fairly quickly throughout the recruitment process or the recruitment stage. Now, one of the cons is that companies need to make sure that they are pre-qualifying those leads or interview target leads right off the bat so that we are speaking with the, the right or yeah the right people. Otherwise, we may derail in a way that the insights or the insights that we're getting are not the ones that we're looking for. On the, on the other hand, we have the sales first approach. In that approach, the sales team is more involved and what we do is we reach out to the sales organization and we ask for a warm introduction to the interview target leads that we are pursuing. So this is great for companies that have, that have a strategic selling motion in which the seller develops a strong relationship with the buyer over time. And the purchase decision is of a strategic importance for to the buying organization. Now, this approach is, is great for, again, for organizations that have a strong relationship with buyers. And therefore, one of the pros about this approach is that we have a higher conversion rate, given that there's, uh, there's already a developed relationship right there. And then one of the cons about this approach is the fact that given that we're leveraging sales, they may slow down the process, mainly for a couple of reasons. One, they, as we all know here, salespeople are extremely busy. And if they are busy heads down on closing deals, then it may take some time for them to respond and, and send out that warm intro. The other layer here is that if they are not bought into the program, then there is a lot of pushback and therefore it will, it will take quite some time to get those warm intros and, and start and, and get or secure those interviews. Now, it is important to, for both approaches, to know your target audience and understand what, what makes them tick and, and what makes them say, okay, I'm going to raise my hand to be part of or participate in the research. Some of the tactics that, that we use here at Double Check are one, we do include an incentive. Getting wins or securing win interviews is easier than securing loss interviews. Therefore, the incentive that we provide to wins is, is slightly lower than the incentive that we provide to losses. Also, we, as I mentioned before, we want to keep in mind the audience and let's say there are instances where we are calling to a small medical practices, uh, for instance, and 
they we we may want to talk to let's say a medical practitioner and we want to get their insights they are busy and it's hard to get a hold of them so in those instances we try to be creative and we we use for instance we send them an edible arrangement or a yeti mag just to capture their attention and hopefully that's a great way to start the conversation so those are kind of the tactics that we use and i don't know if, if that's what you want me to if, if that captures what you were trying to get here to rebecca yeah no i think it's a great way of talking about you know both which channels we kind of go through to reach out to them as well as some of the sort of perks or surprises we might use to, to gather them I, one other thing that you touched on in there in terms of like sometimes buy-in is, is a is a problem with sales I think sometimes buy-in is a problem with companies overall. It's not just sales, right? I think they're very close to the deal, so it can be there. It can be feeling like we already know. It could feel like, you know, again, it's more of a witch hunt. It's all kinds of reasons, I think, that we all see, and I'm sure you've seen, companies with some hesitancy around win-loss. And and as I'm confident that you've seen that, I would love kind of in, in the same way of how do we reach attendees or how do we reach interview recruitment? How do we reach internally to kind of bring people along and get them really bought into this program? Yeah, I can start out and take that. So again, no one's getting their pitchforks out here, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I will say, you know, the reason I think we keep mentioning sales and keep talking about sales a little bit is because they can be so important. They're not the only group that might be hesitant about win-loss, certainly, but they can be so important to the program yes. because yep. they can just be so helpful and qualifying leads and also in the actual outreach process itself. And so, you know, it's, it, but it's important to get all stakeholders on board. And I think to help answer this question, it might be helpful to share an example that, that happened recently with another client that shall remain nameless. I had a client this year who really struggled to get their win-loss program up and running. They really felt strongly about it, this program leader, and they were very determined to roll it out to the organization, which is a good thing because they needed that determination. Um, the sales team in this scenario was the group who did not want to go forward with win-loss. They felt that they did not want their job performance on the line. They didn't want to be evaluated in this way. Other groups of the organization, it, it can be kind of this thought of there's a little bit of fear of opening Pandora's box and what's going to come back and how is that going to reflect on me and my department. But it's, it's again, it's not about the witch hunt. It's not about nobody is saying there's a problem with specifically with sales or with marketing. But what we're looking for is opportunities to improve because overall as an organization, we want to win more, right? So what this program leader had done is I actually jumped on a bunch of call, a couple calls talking to directly to her sales team to address questions, concerns, talk about the program, talk about all of the learning objectives we have that are not necessarily just related to sales or just related to product. It's the whole buying process. We want to learn about branding, awareness, marketing, 
selection criteria, business drivers, all of these pieces, all the way through to the final win-loss decision, and of course, competitive intel. There's so many facets to the program and just helping different departments understand and realize that this is a full picture study, not specifically coming after their department or looking for flaws in their group. Um, This is about a continual growth mindset. And what really helped in this situation with this particular client I worked with who was really struggling, that her sales department was particularly influential in, in the organization, as salespeople often are. It's, it's a skill that they, they have, and they, they need that skill to win deals. And so she had a hard time kind of going against sales wishes. But what ultimately happened is after a number of meetings and, and working with the sales team, not against them, we got a few leads and out of those that those small number of leads, we were able to generate a couple of reports. And once the, um, the team was able to receive the research and digest the research and see how impactful this could be to their group, that is what helped further the program. Then next thing you know, we got a few more leads and hopefully they'll get a couple more reports and then get a few more leads and they'll be able to keep going that way. With the sales team specifically, they're incentivized to win. And once they learn that the research is going to help them do that, they're going to win more, they're going to make more money. And it's that that's a very good thing for everybody. I love that idea too, right? There's a little bit of let me start and I can show you the impact, right? Which means letting them see the reports and seeing the advantages. It also means that if you're a product person and you're doing the win-loss, like take the opportunity to do some actions, even if they're smaller actions, so that you can show impact and results early is going to help that program kind of stay around and be able to scale the way that you want it to. Yeah, we like to think of it as not a witch hunt, but a truth-seeking mission. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. You guys have shared a bunch of, uh, I think, your expertise and perspective and and sort of best practices along the way. Are there any others that you would just really call out to listeners? It's like, okay, you're ready. You know how much advantage it is. You're getting buy-in. Here's just a couple other things to keep in mind as you start your program. Yeah, I can take that. I mean, I've discussed this a few times, and but you know, getting that stakeholder buy-in right from the get-go is so important. Going from the top down, getting the leaders of your organization on board with the study, with the ongoing program is super important. Looking at making sure you're selecting the right kind of program and being smart about selecting research cohorts so that you'll have like-minded buyers that will be able to talk to you and you'll be able to identify trends from those specific types of buyers. Also making sure you're looking at, again, late stage competitive recent deals. Um, Mm. So those are probably three big tips that that I would leave. I would like to add to those. Uh, one, One of them is to find a simple and easy way to synthesize the themes that you're finding mm. across the mm. win-loss interviews. So the, the simpler you put it or the simpler the simpler you are able to fit put in back back to the organization and into the different functions, uh, the easier it'll be for them to digest and to start acting upon those findings. Uh, so that's one. The other one is to it's we talked about how relevant it is and how vital vital it is for program adoption to start 
sharing program findings right from the get-go, but you want to do that as well throughout the program. You don't want to wait until the very end of your research cycle or the end of your TEM report program. Because if you wait until the very end, then what's going to happen is it may be way too late. The data that you capture throughout all those mm. months may be outdated, maybe mm. a stale. So you want to keep a way to keep your stakeholders engaged throughout the program is by constantly, as soon as you, you get new insights, sharing those insights back with your, with, your, with your audience and also thinking about your audience, personalizing and customizing the way you are sharing those, those findings. And the last bit is, again, trying to have to come up with a, a strategy to share findings broadly. It could be through executive debriefs or sales trainings, one-on-one sales coaching sessions, trying to embed win-loss findings into your day-to-day operations to make the most out of the program. Great advice. Lots of great advice. And I do think the you know, don't wait necessarily four months so you have an even bigger pile because it also, it's easy for people to think, oh, that was back then. We probably fixed it already, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's another reason that the the immediacy is so key. Awesome. All right. So everybody here listening, if you, I'm like, really, if you do nothing else, I think win-loss is such a powerful tool and the way it will arm you to do your role and to have impact on the organization that can be felt very quickly is amazing. And certainly if you can, and you can use a partner, I, I double check is when we use, we, there are other really great partners out there as well. You can also do it yourself, right? And there's all kinds of ways of doing it, but I do think it's really important to just do it and get started. I think that you'll see the power and then you'll just be like, oh my gosh, how could this not have happened earlier? All right, ladies, my one last question. Talked about lots of different things today, lots of great things about win-loss. If you could have listeners do two things differently tomorrow based on what we talked about today, what would it be? I I mean, with your group where it was just the 30% who were doing win-loss, I think it would be, you know, get started. Um, mm. Get started talking to your stakeholders, get started thinking about your cohorts and your learning objectives. Just take those few first steps to get to getting up and running will be huge. You can take action, those actions today. It doesn't take very long to take those actions. So those would be the big things to just, you know, get up and run to get started. Excellent. All right. If there's some place that people want to dive in, you guys have lots of great research and lots of great uh, thought leadership, Diana, that you, you kind of oversee. Where should I send people? Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can, I don't have the URL right in front of me, Rebecca, but I can. We will put it in the description. Yes, 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 exactly. We can put it there. Perfect. Excellent. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, Jen. Thank you, Diana, for joining us, for sharing your experience, your expertise, your insight. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product your company, and your career.